Hi, friends. Welcome to our last regular episode of 2023 on That Sounds Fun. I'm your host, Annie F. Downs. I'm so happy to be here with you today. So grateful for another really fun year on the podcast. Don't forget, we've got something special for you on Christmas Eve. And then our buddy, Eddie Koffeltz, will be back the last Thursday of the year to do a year in review. And stick around later in the show as our That Sounds Fun Network hosts will tell you some of their favorite Christmas snacks. And before we dive into today's episode, I want to tell you about one of our incredible sponsors. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. I know this is a season when we're shopping and wrapping up gifts for all the loved ones in our lives, but maybe consider a little gift for yourself too. What would it look like to gift yourself some time in therapy? I wonder what your 2024 could be like if you made some space to process all the things going on in and around you. This is where better help can come in. Maybe you can't wrap it up, but I can tell you that therapy is a true gift because I know how much it's helped me grow. Give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Your session can be done right from home, and all you do is fill out a brief questionnaire. We love a quiz. And you'll get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. In a season of giving, give yourself what you need. BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash that sounds fun today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash that sounds fun. Okay, let's talk about candles for a minute. Do you know that almost 2 billion candles are sold globally each year and almost all of them are likely to end up in landfills for the next 1 million years? It's insane. That's why I think it's really cool that Notes Candles exist. They're working to eliminate single-use candle vessels and give home fragrance lovers a more earth-friendly option. Notes has created a refillable candle system that allows you to use your candle vessel over and over again. It is super easy. The candles are made with fragranced wax beads, so all you do is place the wick in your reusable notes jar and fill it up with the wax beads and enjoy your fragrance for up to 36 hours. The Santal and Atlas Cedar scent is like this woodsy calming smell. It's so nice. And they have oat milk and balsam berry, vanilla and pepperwood, pistachio and rose water, and a total of 13 really great options to choose from. Be a responsible consumer while not giving up high-quality home fragrance by making the switch to Notes. You can build your custom starter kit right now at notescandle.com slash that sounds fun. Right now, Notes is giving our friends 15% off and free shipping when you buy a notes starter kit using the code that sounds fun just use that code that sounds fun when you're placing your order that's that sounds fun at notescandle.com slash that sounds fun today on the show oh i'm so honored i got to talk with my new friend dr n.t wright Y'all know talking to theologians is my favorite, so getting to talk to Dr. Wright is like next-level stuff. He is one of the world's leading New Testament scholars, so you know we talked about the Gospels, and he's an award-winning author of many books, including his newest deep dive on Romans called Into the Heart of Romans. I love this conversation. I've been dying for y'all to hear it. I was lucky enough to get to record with him in person at the Hepzibah House in New York City. I'm so thankful to them for letting us record in their studio. So here's my conversation with Dr. N.T. Wright. Dr. Wright, welcome to That Sounds Fun. Thank you very much. Good oh, it's such an honor to be here. <laughs> I cannot believe I get to sit in a room with you. Your your writing has just impacted, I mean, 90 books, is that right? How many books? Uh, getting on that way somewhere. Yeah. Yes. Depends how you count them. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
share. <laughs> As we're sitting here, I'm thinking about our mutual friends we share, like Luke Norsworthy. Yeah. Isn't he the best? Yeah, I've done podcasts with him before. Yes, yes. Yeah. I'm not sure we've ever met face to face, but. Uh, oh, it's all been on. We may have done. It's probably been on Zoom. Or yeah. yeah. I remember so clearly the episodes you did when you released, I think it was an ebook after, during COVID. Oh, the, on the pandemic. God yes. of the pandemic. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Which then did come out as a proper book. Yeah. Oh, yeah. wow. Yeah. I remember downloading, I mean, read that and listened to that conversation mm-hmm. and thought, I'm so thankful for you having the insight into Uh, that. uh, Will you talk a little bit about that season as far as how did you know what to start writing? How did you know (laughs) to find what you did in scripture around a pandemic? Yeah, yeah, it was curious. I mean, what happened was that uh, it it began with an invitation from Time magazine to write just a 700-word piece, Uh, which I'm not sure it even made it into the print magazine. I think it was simply on their website. Um, And so... As I've been thinking about it and and working with folk in Oxford where I live who were struggling with the fact that churches are being shut and so on, um, it seemed to me that the most important thing to say was lament. Um, mm. that, that the, the most important thing to say was not, um, we have a solution for this, namely God is punishing people for doing X, Y, or Z, um, but rather this is a very strange season. We weren't expecting it. Um, mm. And the most important thing to do is to grab hold of the Psalms which say, Lord, why is this going on? Yeah. And then to discover that in Romans 8, Paul is doing exactly that. Um, And, you know, that's always been important to me, but that kind of gave it more depth. I wasn't expecting that having written that little Time magazine article, there would be a Twitter storm saying, oh, N.T. Wright doesn't read his Bible because in the book of Amos, it says that the reason this has happened is because you were wicked and you did this and that and the other. So I thought, excuse me, there is also the book of Job. There is also Psalm 44 and Psalm 88, which which just say there is absolutely no reason for this. You know, our heart has not turned back from you. We've not been forced to the covenant and yet we're in a mess. Now Mm -hmm. do something about Mm -hmm. it. Um, So I explored that. And then I was asked to do one or two lectures uh, online for church groups that I knew and that were wanting the sort of input that I was giving. And so I did maybe two, three, four lectures. And then I looked at them and I said to the publishers, um, Gee, I think that there's a little book in here. And they mm-hmm. said, well, write it out and see what happens. So I did. And uh, it was, um, yeah, I hadn't expected to do it, but sometimes these things work out. That's right. Do you write every day? Uh, it depends. Uh, no, I'm I'm usually working on something at least six days a week. But if it's in the reading mode, then it's in the reading mode and I'll mm. just be taking scribbled notes. So I don't have a set pattern. But once a project gets going, then I, I get kind of hungry for it, mm-hmm. make my way eagerly into the study and get on with it. Yes, that's one of the things we talk about a lot around here is chasing your curiosity in mm-hmm. Scripture mm-hmm. and kind of going, wait, why is that? Why is that? Why is yeah, that? Yeah, is yeah. that how you find your books? Oh, um, some of them. Some of them, yeah. yes. But chasing curiosity, that's a, it's a good phrase. Um, I, I was fortunate when I studied theology a, a thousand years ago, um, <laughs> the set text that we used in Oxford is the old 1880s revised version. And the edition of that that I still have on my desk had lots and lots and lots of good cross-references all the way through. So any passage you're studying, there'll be things in the margin which say, you might want to check out Exodus 32 here or Psalm 46 or whatever. You go back and then they lead you to other places as well. And in theory, you might have known about those things. But so those references plus the concordance. And a wise man said to me 50 years ago, the best clue for the New Testament is the concordance to the Greek Old Testament because that was their Bible. And when they are referring to whether it's a word or a phrase or an idea, again and again, they didn't have many books. And the one that they had, yeah. they knew pretty well. Yeah. So channeling 
Exodus, Isaiah, Deuteronomy, uh, Malachi, whatever. That's how, again and again, that's the substructure of so much New Testament theology. And then, yeah, curiosity. So I'm making little notes and then putting it together. And I'm doing that this weekend, actually, yeah. in the talks I'm doing uh, here in New York. Oh, yeah. What are you, what are you chasing? Uh, Ephesians. Okay. But um, the, the, it's extraordinary reading the commentaries how often people miss some of the, to me, most obvious things like that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. This is temple language. This is about Yahweh coming to mm. fill the temple mm -hmm. against the day when he will eventually fill all creation. That's what Ephesians is about. And how yeah. come people miss it? Yeah. They're not listening for those Old Testament echoes. That's right. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so should we, we don't like to should people too much, but should we have a concordance is that one of the things you're like, have a Bible and have a concordance? Concordance is enormously helpful if you want to do any serious Bible study. Mm -hmm. I, I inherited an English concordance to the King James Version from my grandfather, who was a, a minister, wow. um, but then quite quickly graduated on to the Greek one and the Hebrew one. Mm -hmm. And and those are books I just love pulling off the shelf because you just know there's going to be curious stuff right. going on. And, and unlike an encyclopedia, it's not changing. Yeah, like well, encyclopedias that, feel yeah. like they've aged. Th that's right. But that's a concordance right. doesn't age, concordance basically doesn't age and if it's on the greek and hebrew text then we're dealing with the original here so yeah, yeah. let's go with it when we think about the disciples and jesus and and paul um i can't wait to tell you about my relationship with paul um when we think about the disciples and jesus and paul they had how much of the old testament memorized that's a good question i mean jesus i'm sure knew well yeah i guess he knew it all didn't he? well yeah but i mean humanly speaking he was a obviously a, a well-educated jewish boy he knew his scriptures and how much is actually in the front of the memory, I don't know. Paul is extraordinary. I mean, he, um, one of my colleagues who used to teach in Oxford with me is now sadly passed away, but um, he said Paul kept his Bible where it belongs in his head. You know? mm, and, wow. and there are to this day um, rabbinic students who have the whole, not only of the Mishnah, but also the Talmud wow. in their heads. And that's like um, a shelf full of volumes. Yes. And uh, it, it is possible um, scripture like music, like Shakespeare, like so on. Once you get into it, um, you know, a Shakespeare actor will have the whole of Shakespeare in his head. Mm -hmm. or her head. Um, and why not? Because there, there are clues and there are keys and, and it's, it's perfectly possible. And so uh, another colleague of mine when I was teaching in St. Andrews, who is an expert on the book of Ezekiel, um, he said, if we think we can hear an echo of Scripture, be sure that they heard it loud and clear because they knew their stuff oh, much better than we do. Right. So we may think there's a faint echo. The chances are that they'd spotted that. That's a really beautiful part of Into the Heart of Romans where you keep calling back to Paul's talking about the Old Testament. Yep, Paul's yep, talking yep. about Exodus. Paul's Absolutely. talking about and, – and this this book on Romans 8, the – I hadn't known that as well. And I love at the beginning where you give people this like, hey, some people teach Paul by saying, here's what he meant to say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 And that's dangerous, right? I ran into that early on when I was studying uh, many years ago, commentators who would walk you through, but at a certain point say, Paul is a bit obscure here. His illustration runs away with itself and he wasn't very good at using analogies, etc." And I just think that's so patronizing uh, yeah. because actually all it takes is even a slight shift of perspective and you see he said exactly what he meant. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And he's sitting there thinking, how dare you say I didn't know what yes. I was talking about? Yes. Yeah. Will you talk through 
the three questions we're supposed to ask when we're reading Romans? Oh, well, this is like uh, line by line, uh, again and again, or paragraph by paragraph. Again and again, I, I've said this to, to my students over the years. You have to look at the beginning and end of each paragraph. And Paul tends to write in paragraphs. And sometimes I thought that was fascinating when you were like, yeah. he always does a short a beginning, yeah. a short end, and a long middle. That, that's that's right. So I mean, oh. Romans 8, 1 to 11, famous paragraph. There is therefore now no condemnation for those in Messiah Jesus. Fine. That's where we're going. Now there's a long and winding road to get there. But then at the end, verse 11, there we are. Um, mm. So if the Spirit indwells you, then you will be raised from the dead as, as Jesus was. Or you can take the whole chapter and say, well, um, no condemnation, right to the end of the chapter, nothing in all creation shall separate us from mm -hmm, the love of God mm -hmm. and Messiah Jesus. So, But then once you've got that, it's the kind of stabilizing thing so that you know that at least Paul thinks that the intermediate intermediate verses were going there. Yeah. And then you can, how, how was that happening? And then you can break that down further. The second thing is the little connecting words, mm -hmm. because Paul uses awesome. these these little words like gar, which means for, or because, and dare, which means but. And again, scholars used to say, oh, well, Paul says here um, dare, but he, he really means chi or something. No, sorry. Paul actually, it, it's almost mathematical for Paul. Mm. He, he is deducing things, or he is saying this happens because that, and only when you understand that. Uh, does does the thing come out? Um, but then the the third thing, which is harder, um, is uh, how would this sit within the culture of the day, right. within the Jewish right. culture, within the Greco-Roman culture, etc. Now, of course, that demands all the study, you know, um, of the classical world and the Jewish world. And mm -hmm. I've spent my life happily wandering around there, bumping into things and wallowing in it. And, yes. And, but the more we know about that, the more sense it makes. Um, so there, there are passages, I mean, for instance, when he's talking about the renewal of all creation, where in exactly the, the time of Paul, some of the Roman poets are saying, because we have this great new empire, you know, they're all court poets mm -hmm. being paid by mm -hmm. Augustus or whoever. Um, therefore, now creation is blossoming as never before. And Paul is saying, actually, sorry, this is where it really happens. Yeah. Um, so all these different strands, the micro stuff of the, of the paragraphs and the small words and the macro stuff of now that you've got that picture, think how they would hear it in that world. Mm -hmm. And, and this is this has been the delight of my life to to go through the New Testament reading it like this. So with Paul particularly, this is not my problem with Paul. My sure, problem sure. with Paul, you saved my friendship with Paul <laughs> in your book on your like Paul book made me feel like he was someone I would actually like being around. When I read yeah, him, yeah, I feel yeah. like he's bossy. Yeah, oh, I'm, I'm sure he is. But um, yeah. I, I say, did you read the biography? The, yes, Paul? Yeah, yes. Yeah. I think I say that, you know, Paul is a high maintenance friend. Yes. He's, he's, he's a friend, but but you're kind of twitchy when you're yes. with him in different situations. Yes, I joke all the time that when we get to heaven that y'all can all line up for Paul and I'll hang out with Peter until he's not busy. <laughs> anymore and then i'll have coffee with well, paul we we need to make some fine-tuning adjustment to this when i get to heaven stuff as i'm sure you well, know um yep. have you read surprised by hope no uh, oh no. oh do i need to read surprised by hope ma'am you do okay. that, that that's probably my best known book in the states i would think surprised <gasps> How by i missed it? i'm so sorry I, 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 i'm i'm i jumped right into the paul stuff <laughs> I'm, I'm deeply shocked but um oh i'm sorry because as you see in romans 8 when paul talks about inheritance yes um, so many Western Christians, whether they be Catholic, Protestant, Pentecostal, liberal, whatever, they assume that inheritance means going to heaven when we die. Yes. And it really, really, really doesn't. It's mm -hmm. the whole creation. He mm -hmm. says in Romans 4, God's promise to Abraham was that he would inherit the world. And we kind of skate over that. Yeah. But 
the point is that the promise, and this is really very important, the promise to Abraham of the land was the foretaste of God's promise of the whole creation. creation. The land is an advanced metaphor for the whole creation, just like the temple is an advanced metaphor for God's intention to fill all creation with Mm. his presence and love. And that's very, very germane to Romans 8 as well. Oh, right. Um, I mean, all of this stuff is... is, is, um, I would now see as basic. The the trouble is we've all been... And it's really medieval. The, the, The Middle Ages with the Aristotelian philosophy, they thought that the main thing was for the soul to get up to heaven. The whole of the Bible from Genesis to Revelation is about how God wants to come and dwell with us. Yeah. The strap line at the end of Revelation is not the dwelling of humans is with God, but the dwelling of God is with humans. Yes. That, that's not accidental. Mm-hmm. So uh, I, I say this to my children, and my, my wife now does it deliberately to me. She says, when we get to heaven, knowing perfectly well that I will say no, don't. So <laughs> we kind of wind each other up on that one. That's right. That hey, friends, just interrupting this conversation real quick to share about one of our new amazing partners, Happy Viking. Listen, I love a smoothie, and I have found a plant-based protein powder to use in it that I think you're going to love. And get this story. Venus Williams was diagnosed with a career-ending autoimmune disease in 2011, and she created Happy Viking Protein and Superfoods Powder to transform her health. And you know that she has casually went on to have the longest career in tennis history, right? Well, I like mixing two scoops of Happy Vitamins triple chocolate flavor with some peanut butter and banana and almond milk. And y'all, it is so good. But they also have a vanilla bean flavor, strawberry smoothie, green yucalata, iced coffee, and cookies and cream. Get in my life, cookies and cream. Plus, Happy Viking doesn't have that gritty or chalky taste like other protein powers could. It's got everything you need in one plant-based scoop. Protein, vitamins, minerals, probiotics, prebiotics, fiber, electrolytes, and more. And it's only two grams of sugar, y'all. Happy Viking protein and superfoods powder made by tennis champion Venus Williams is hands down the best tasting plant protein powder out there. Visit drinkhappyviking.com and use the code TSF, like that sounds fun, for 20% off your first purchase. That's 20% off at drinkhappyviking.com with the code TSF. That link and pretty much every other link you could ever hope for are in the show notes below. So be sure to check those out. And one more amazing partner to tell you about pros. Okay, y'all know we love a quiz around here, so I've got one for you to take. Pros has a hair consultation quiz where you answer questions on everything from the climate where you live to the issues you're having with your hair, your hair type and texture, your eating habits. And then they analyze 85 personal factors and handpick clean ingredients that get you closer to your hair goals with every single wash. I'm telling you, I've taken the quiz, I've gotten the shampoo and conditioner, and I love what Pros does for my hair. So do y'all. You tell me all the time. Their made-to-order hair care is the absolute best. And if you ever need to change your answers because your hair has changed or you moved or the climate has changed, their review and refine tool allows you to go in and tweak your information so you can make sure you're getting the most helpful-to-you formulas. Custom made-to-order hair care from Pros has your name all over it. Take your free in-depth hair consultation and you get 50% off your first subscription order today, plus 15% off and free shipping every subscription order after that. That is amazing. Go to pros.com slash that sounds fun. That's P-R-O-S-E dot com slash that sounds fun for your free in-depth hair consultation and 50% off your first subscription order. All right, we all know the way our hair or skin look can sway our mood and impact our day. If one of them feels off, it just feels like the day is starting off on the wrong foot. I've never found beauty products that really fit my personal hair goals, but ever since I switched to a custom hair and skin routine with pros, I've noticed so many benefits. Healthier, shinier hair and healthier skin, too. 
With pros, personalization is rooted in everything they do, from their in-depth consultation to their made-to-order model. For example, my custom shampoo and conditioner, which I love, they formulate to make my hair more manageable, shiny, hydrated. It's amazing, y'all. They truly deliver. Pros is better for the planet, too. They're a certified B Corp, cruelty-free, and the first and only carbon-neutral custom beauty brand. They even have a review and refine tool, which learns from my feedback, adjusts my formula to keep up with the seasons and changes in my life, the city that I'm living in. It is amazing, you guys. Pros is so confident that they'll bring out your best hair and skin that they're offering an exclusive trial offer of 50% off your first subscription order. You guys, 5-0. 50% off your first subscription order at pros.com slash that sounds fun. So you get your free consultation and then you get 50% off at pros.com slash that sounds fun. This is the season to try pros if you have not tried them before. Pros.com slash that sounds fun. That's P R O S E dot com slash that sounds fun. Okay, now back to our conversation with Dr. Wright. That sounds fun. So with with Paul, so much of his writing, I mean that that first century question is so helpful. Because yeah. yeah. I think the parts where Paul talks about submission and marriage riles mm-hmm. people up. Where he talks about women teaching mm-hmm. riles mm-hmm. people up. But if we turn it with a first century eye, is that the way we teach it versus what he meant to do was put a comma there? What he meant to do was put a question mark (laughs) and, you know. Well, um, the thing about the first century is it's a moral zoo um, and women are chattels or just not much above slaves, et cetera, Mm. et cetera. And Paul in Ephesians 5 is, and the parallel passages elsewhere, is desperate to show that the whole Jesus' project is about new creation. Creation, you have man and woman in partnership, uh, symbolizing actually heaven and earth in partnership. And so Ephesians is all about the coming together of heaven and earth, symbolized in the coming together of Jew and Gentile, and then symbolized in the coming together of man and woman in marriage. So this is an extraordinary ennobling vision of of matrimony. And as I say in another book written uh, 20 years ago now, um, we assume that the Old Testament has rather strict laws and then the New Testament comes along and says, there, never mind, sorry. Yeah. 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 Yes. Right. We believe in grace, not law. Right, but right, actually, right. if you look at um, monogamy, um, it's not a big theme of the Old Testament, to yeah. say the least. No. Think of Abraham, think of Jacob, think of David, think of Solomon. And, all of them, right. And, and the Old Testament is clear that these people are all flawed characters, but the polygamy doesn't seem to worry them as much as some other things. Mm-hmm. In the New Testament, it's absolutely, here we are. And... If that's what the church is to model, then unless you're going to say that there is no difference at all between men and women, which, I mean, psychologically, biologically would be foolish, it seems to me, then you're going to have to think about appropriate complementarity. I know that the complementary word has been abused by people who want to keep women in their place, as it were. But for Paul, it's it's an extraordinary new ideal to be grasped, which would resonate out. I mean, by the end of the second century, it's very interesting. Not, not not many people know this. There was a very famous doctor in the pagan Greek world called Galen, and Galen wrote a lot of stuff. And he only knew two things about these strange people called Christians. And on both counts, he thought they were mad. One was that they believed in the resurrection of the body. The other was that they didn't sleep around. And on both mm. counts, he thought they were crazy because everyone else, nobody believed in resurrection and everyone else had as much sex as they could wherever. Mm. And the Christians didn't. And, and so he knew there was something going on here but didn't know what it was. And the answer is because they were creational monotheists, that is, they valued the goodness of the body mm-hmm. so much they believed God would raise it from the dead, and therefore they treated 
their own bodies and one another's yes. with dignity and respect. Yes. And once you see that as the overarching thing, and you have Paul addressing that world, then all the other stuff kind of falls into yeah, place. That's right. Yeah. I think I'm having a um, realization in the moment that there isn't polygamy in the New Testament, really. Uh, it no. really does drop off. Uh, it, it absolutely does. And Mark, Mark 10, et cetera, et cetera. And it's interesting, in the pastorals, um, Paul and people dispute whether they are by Paul, but in this is First and Second Timothy and so on. Um, uh, when Paul is talking about qualification for holding ministerial office in the church, he says um, a man must be the husband of one wife, which implies to me that there are polygamists in the church. Mm. There are people who have come in and, and the church has not said you have to give up all the wives but one, right. but you only have people holding public office if they are modeling this quite new and tricky and scary thing of, mm -hmm. of monogamy. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Wow. So why was Paul the guy that you are most drawn to? Oh, um, I studied philosophy as part of my first degree and ancient history as the other part, and that was a wonderful course. Uh -huh. And so when I then switched to theology for a second bachelor's degree, um, you kind of fall naturally in with Paul because you realize, uh, I, you know, I cut my intellectual teeth on Plato and Aristotle when I was doing philosophy. And here is Paul who doesn't write nearly as much as them. I mean, Plato and Aristotle's books fill shelves, but Paul's letters are just, but they are explosive mm -hmm. with ideas from the Jewish world, but addressed into the Greco-Roman world and so dense and so intricate and so intellectually fascinating mm -hmm. that I think I was drawn by it, as well as because when I was a student, I'd heard a lot of sermons and expositions of Paul, which didn't always agree with one another. And people got tangled up as to whether we were supposed to leave behind Romans 8 in order to get Romans 7 in order to get into Romans 8. And those sort of questions, which come out of a 19th century piety, actually. Mm. And, and they're not stupid questions, but then working back to actually what was Paul himself talking about there? Mm. Mm -hmm. This this was quite a talking point among me and my friends when I was in my 20s. So, oh, that's fun. Yeah, yeah. And then once you get into Paul, um, you know, life is not going to be the same because mm -hmm. you, you, all sorts of – the, the reward for every answer that you get is three more questions. Right. And, and so you, you're led on again yes. by curiosity. I think that's one of the things that keeps me loving Scripture is oh. I – if I come at it curious, it never gets boring. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I, I'd tell you, when I was Bishop of Durham, um, which is 10, 15 years ago now, um, uh, we had a lay course uh, in the evenings through from like September to Easter or so for ordinary lay members of parishes. And, mm -hmm. and many of the people who signed up were people who left school at 15 and had never done any further education. Right. And at the end of that course, they would come to the place where I lived and we would have a little service and thank God for what they'd done and have a cup of tea and this and that. One old lady who must have been nearer 80 than 70, she said to me, you know, Bishop, I've discovered something. Once you get into this stuff, you'll never be bored again as long as you live. And I thought, yes. Yeah. <laughs> you know, this old lady who otherwise might be sunk in front of a soap opera on the telly and tedious life just dwindling along. And instead, there's all this stuff to get into. Yes, yes. I have to tell you, one of my most profound experiences with God happened at the Cathedral at Durham. Oh, really? Yeah. A, uh, a couple of years ago, I was there yeah. for Evensong yes, on Epiphany. Yes, yes, yes. And I'm sitting in, ah, I'm ah. sitting, um, you know, it's shaped like a cross. So I'm yes, up yes, in yes. those front chairs. Sure, sure. Um, and there's a little choir there. Yeah. I'll tell you this quickly, but it's so sweet. Um, and the bishop is praying yeah. for different groups of people. Yeah. 
And he says, and I was getting ready to start writing a new book. And he <laughs> says, um, let's pray for this group and this group. And then for anyone who writes or speaks on behalf of um, the gospel. And that, and I just start sobbing. Wow, I start wow, sobbing. Wow, wow. And, and, and he prays. And then the next one's like, for people who are grieving. And I was like, what? <laughs> you're, that, you're so specific. And then you're. So afterwards, I walk up to him and I start to say, I'm a writer. And he says, it's you like that. And I said, Wonderful. Yes, sir. And he said, Wonderful. I've had that for weeks Wonderful. and I knew it was for tonight. Wonderful. And so oh, on the cover of my book is called Remember God. And on the cover um, is the design from his robe. Oh, is on the cover. Oh, oh that's, wonderful. But it, that's wonderful. So that place is very dear to me because I feel good. like the Lord it's, intercepted me. It's a very special place. I I grew up in the northeast of England, so mm-hmm. I've known Durham since I was a boy. And then when I went to be bishop there, that was like, oh my goodness, doesn't yes. get any better than this. One time, my older daughter, who was then very much a, a city kid in her 20s with lots of very secular friends, they all came up and stayed in our extraordinary old house. Um, and because it was a wet weekend, they said, well, let, let, let's go and see Durham. These girls have never seen Durham. Yeah. And my daughter had said to me, now, Dad, when they come back, they're not churchgoers, so let's not have any of that um, sort of conversation. <laughs> they just wanted whatever. They went off and they spent um, an hour or so in Durham Cathedral, and the choir was practicing for Evensong. Yeah. And one of these girls, a sort of you know cheerful city girl, came out in floods of tears and didn't know why. Had no idea what was going on. So they came back home and my daughter said, actually, Dad, we have some questions. (laughs) (laughs) And the building and the music will do that. What is, is there something specific about what God has done in Durham throughout history that makes it's so thick still? Um, It's thick or, well, I mean, in the Celtic language, they call it a thin place. In other words, a place where the the border between heaven and earth is porous. it feels that way And Durham is like that Lindisfarne. I mean, when people pray in a building for a thousand years, um, and it's not magic, you can't sort of assume it's going to happen. But again and again and again, something is going on there. Yes. uh, Yeah, one of the last times I was in there, I mean, talking about family, I had this extraordinary sense because my older son was then the conductor of the Durham Singers, which is one of the leading uh, amateur choirs in the northeast of England. And they, his final concert after 15 years of conducting that, they did um, uh, Bach's Christmas Oratorio. Oh, wow. And I, I sat there 10 pews back thinking he is actually developing my ministry in this place right. in his own way. Right. It's just most amazing sense and yeah. memory and gratitude and so on. Okay, yeah, that, that place is, they have, um, yeah. it will matter to me forever. Good, good, just good. Just as one of those thin places yep. is exactly right. It's yep. one of those really, yep. um, my other favorite thing that the Celtic people say is when they call the Holy Spirit um, a wild goose. Ah, oh, yes, yes, yes. When they, that, that yes. Following the Holy Spirit is like a wild goose chase. Yes, yes, absolutely. I find that so, I mean, that's the same curiosity, right? Yep, if we're yep, sitting yep. in Scripture to go, well, this may the, feel like a wild wind, goose chase, but go. The wind blows where it wills. Yes. You hear the sound of it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Interesting. It's beautiful. <laughs> so Romans 8, when you're digging yep. into this, this is going to be a very elementary question. Paul didn't number the chapters. No. Nope. Paul didn't number the verses. So when we're talking about the paragraphs like that, if we're talking about a wild goose chase, I yep, mean, he's yep, just yep. left, right, and center throughout that whole book. 
How did someone separate it into chapters right, and verses? Right. That happened in the in the Middle Ages simply as a way for monks to study it and to be able to know easily which bit they were talking about. Because, um, you know, when, when Jesus refers to Scripture, he says something about Moses in the passage about the bush. And that's how ah. that's how they would do it. You, you remember that bit about the call of Abraham or the bit about the burning bush. Verses chapter 4, and, verse 12. Exactly. Right. But, um, I mean, Paul, of all the New Testament writers— usually does write in paragraphs. He sometimes has more extended discussions, for instance, 1 Corinthians 15, the long chapter on the resurrection, though even there we can see, and it's very definitely, you can feel him taking a breath. Mm -hmm. Um, In the early manuscripts, there are not only no spaces between and between words and no punctuation, um, often no spaces between sentences either. But sometimes in some of the early manuscripts, you do have a little bit of a space where we would probably put a paragraph. And that's because that's just the way they wrote it. And they, they would read it straight through. And so you, um, uh, it, it's, it's fascinating, actually, when you look at the, the, the photographs of these sort of third and fourth century manuscripts. So for, for Paul, you can tell I mean, most obviously at the end of Romans 8, it's built up to this climax. Nothing Mm. in all creation can separate us. And then he starts off, I'm speaking the truth in Christ and I'm not lying. My conscience bears me witness that I'm constantly in sorrow and tearful because of my kinsfolk Mm -hmm. according to the flesh. Mm -hmm. Now, the transition between 8 and 9, and it's rhetorically very, very powerful. And Mm -hmm. he, he knows that. I mean, he's planned this out. Romans is a symphony in four movements. And he's been thinking of these themes and how they rounded off and then a bit of them reappears in a different guise and it's it's extraordinary it's brilliant yeah it is do you imagine he you know when we think about writing letters yeah, yeah, we yeah. think dear yeah, tom yeah, yeah. hope you're doing well thanks for being yeah, yeah. love annie i'm imagining when you're talking about the four symphonies and the and the movement of it he probably worked on it the way we work on books well i think for romans yes okay. um i think sometimes we sense that things are more jerky. I mean, Second Corinthians is very awkward and jerky. He, he's just had a really, really rough time in, in Ephesus. He says he despaired of life itself. He, yeah. And you can feel this is somebody who's been through the mill and is grinding stuff out and then changing. And then, and then I got to Troy, but um, I didn't find Titus, so I was still upset. And now I'm here and this has happened. And um, it's totally different. Totally different from First Corinthians yeah. and totally different from Romans. But I think he writes Romans maybe some months after he writes Second Corinthians because he's gone down to okay. Corinth by then. And I think he is now planning his trip to Jerusalem and then he hopes on to Rome. Of course, it took him much longer because he got put in prison, et cetera, et cetera. Sure. But um, I think he's had Romans bubbling up in his mind. I think he's been sorting it out. Yeah. And I mean, as a writer... I know there are some books which have just happened almost overnight, um, yes. like the one about the pandemic. I didn't intend to write that, sure. but it just happened. But other books that I've been mulling over for literally years or even decades, and finally, okay, it's taken shape. I can see now how we're doing this. And sometimes I've sat down with a research assistant or whoever, and we've covered a huge table with scribbles and maps <laughs> and, and diagrams. And then you say, oh, wait a minute. If we put that bit there, then we could deal with this issue there and it would work like this. And and then there's a sort of sense of a jigsaw coming together. Yes. And I think it must have been like that with Paul, um, you know, obviously in his own in his own way. But his mind is so extraordinary that he he can keep these themes in balance and yes. you know. Yeah, that's what it feels like 
as you're explaining it and as I read into the heart of Romans, I thought, mm-hmm. oh yeah, he he made a jigsaw puzzle out of it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And and did the thing of, okay, this has to come here yes, in yes. order. And then I'm going to say therefore or whatever. Yes, yes, I'm going to yes, say yes. therefore because I need people to know that's right. that That's ties right. to that. A- absolutely. Brilliant. Absolutely. It's not just another idea that happens to occur to him on the spur of the moment. Yeah, that's yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. That's right. One begets the other. Like he right, has to right, keep it in right. line. Oh, I'm telling you, you're you're healing my friendship with him. <laughs> that sounds fun. Hey, friends, just interrupting this conversation one more time to share about one of our new amazing partners, Bite Toothpaste. Did you know, oh boy, that we swallow 5 to 7% of our toothpaste every single time we brush our teeth? That's like an entire blob of toothpaste every seven days, you guys. Oh, boy. Here's where that gets tricky. Most commercial toothpaste have harsh chemicals, artificial flavors, and preservatives in them, which just isn't the best for us. But you've got to give Bite Toothpaste a try. They make these dry toothpaste tablets that are made with clean ingredients and are sulfate-free, palm oil-free, and glycerin-free. They're called Bite Toothpaste Bits, and they're so convenient. You just pop in a bit in your mouth, chew it up, and start brushing. It will turn to paste just like you're used to, but with no plastic tube or mess. They also come in refillable glass jars, and they send refills in compostable pouches, so they're better for our bodies and our earth. Bite actually makes plastic-free alternatives for everything at your bathroom sink. Uh, Toothpaste, mouthwash, toothbrushes, deodorant, so you can cut out the harsh chemicals and plastic waste without compromise. Bite is offering our listeners 20% off your first order, so go to trybite.com slash that sounds fun, or use the code that sounds fun at checkout to claim this deal. That's T-R-Y-B-I-T-E dot com slash that sounds fun. I cannot wait to hear what you think about it. And one more amazing partner I get to tell you about, Shopify. Okay, if you're dreaming up plans to sell your own merch or custom goods in 2024, Shopify is the way to go, y'all. Whether you're making candles or screen printing t-shirts, we are here for it. And so is Shopify. They're the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life sales stage to your store to, did we just hit a million orders stage? Whether you're selling scented soap or offering cute sweatshirts, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. They have an all-in-one e-commerce platform and an in-person POS system. So wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. And they're the global force behind some of our favorite brands like Rothy's and Brooklinen and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash sounds fun, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash sounds fun now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash sounds fun. Y'all, I recently placed a Thrive Market order for my place in New York so that I'd have all the essentials stocked in the pantry and refrigerator when I'm there. And I want you to hear what I saved as a Thrive member. Okay, I got protein shakes, creamer, chips, soaps, and some other things, you know, all the necessary things. I spent $70 and saved $33.39. Y'all, that is so much money. It's seriously so easy. It also shipped right to my door. Plus, I love that Thrive Market carries brands with the highest quality ingredients and sourcing methods, and they have an online filtering system that allows you to sort based on what you're looking for. So if you're hunting for gluten-free options or dairy-free snacks, you can curate your own shopping experience really easily. They always have a deals page, too, that you can look through as well. Oh, I love it. And when you join Thrive Market, you're also helping a family in need with 
with their one-for-one membership matching program. You join, they give. It's awesome. Join in on the savings with Thrive Market today and get 30% off your first order plus a free $60 gift. Just go to thrivemarket.com slash that sounds fun and get 30% off your first order plus that free $60 gift. That's T-H-R-I-V-E market.com slash that sounds fun. Thrivemarket.com slash that sounds fun. Okay, now back to finish up this super interesting conversation with Dr. N.T. Wright. That sounds fun. One of the things you talk about, I'll just, yeah, if you don't yeah, mind, yeah. I'll just sure, read it sure, to of you. Course, of course. You said, um, we note that this holiness is part of hope. So you're talking about the importance of holiness and how sometimes in our in our culture, we've let go of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then you're like, but in order to actually live with hope, you have to be an integrated person. Yeah. And that's when, and and I, in my own Annie life, I sense like, oh yeah, the longer I have pursued Christ and gotten my life integrated and worked in my my mental health, and the more I've had hope. Right. I just never connected that there was that's, holiness yeah. connected to well, that. Well, yeah. I mean, the thing about Christian holiness is when we have, particularly this is, is so in Protestantism, because we've been so worried about justification by works, yes. as though anything that I do could commend me to God. Yes. So we've pushed the idea of behavior down to the end of the theological argument, as it were. Mm-hmm. So we talk about creation and humans and sin and, and salvation and God and Jesus and the Holy Spirit. And somewhere down at the back, maybe we'll have a little word about the church or about, yes. about ethics. And, but actually, in the New Testament, the point is we are uh, what the gospel does to us is creates us as, as renewed human beings. Mm. And this is against the day when God will raise us from the dead as part of his new creation. And holiness in the present is the advance um, symptom almost of the new humanity which will be raised from the dead wow. at the end. So that so it, it it is bound to be a sign of hope because it wouldn't be happening if that wasn't what God intended to do overall. Yeah. And once you see what we've called ethics like that, you see it completely differently. And there's no sense that this is me trying to impress God by doing a few good works on the right. side. It's it's simply you are called to be a genuine, renewed human. Now, mm. here's what it might look like. Mm-hmm. Let's get on with it. Mm-hmm. And if you behave in these ways, you're saying, I don't want to be a new human. I'm just happy with the old model. Thank you very much. Even if it ends in dust and ashes. That's yeah. right. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. I just I think so many people, especially in Advent during Christmas season, are looking for hope. Of course. And of course. your invitation, really throughout into the heart of Romans, the invitation was when you pursue God and pursue yeah. holiness, hope bubbles yeah, up yeah. as hope, part of the yeah, bonus. Yeah, yeah. Well, quite. And Paul says, he has this odd phrase, we are saved in hope. Mm. And then he says, hope that is seen is not hope for who hopes for what they see. But if we hope for what we don't see, we wait for it with patience. So, so the bubbling up um, generates a context within which patience actually, though we all find it hard, mm-hmm. is nevertheless appropriate. Mm-hmm. And and that's when we then talk about the lament and the groaning of creation and yes. the, our groaning within that. Yes. So. Oh, man. So Into the Heart of Romans feels like the book that we put on everyone's Christmas list that's like <laughs> ready to dig a little deeper. And then you also have the New Testament for everyone, which is your translation yeah. of yeah. the whole New Testament. Yeah. I mean— <laughs> <laughs> well done. Something I'm not going to do. Well done. And and we love talking about the Gospels around here. So 
in your translation, when we talked to Dr. Scott McKnight, he talked about Matthew. Oh, yeah. And he said, Matthew was so thoughtful and so meticulous that each chapter is about a page because he was trying to fit it all in one page. And yeah. so will you, which of the Gospels is your favorite? Oh, Do you goodness, have one that's your goodness. favorite? It's, it's like asking which of my children is my favorite. It's, it's, <laughs> it's, this is not, not a good question to ask. Um, and I, I move, you know, I just recently did a whole course on Matthew for, mm-hmm. for, for my online courses, which I do. And it was a, quite a while since I'd done anything on Matthew. So I was kind of dragging my feet a bit and thinking, how am I going to get back in? And then when I finally sat down and spread Matthew out and started making uh, yeah, a big map of it and so on, it was just so exciting, all these things which were bubbling up. And and uh, uh, so I'm still, there's still a bit of me which is there. And, and Scott McKnight's an old friend of mine, so I appreciate what he says. But I mean, the thing about Mark, which struck me when I, I think, you know, this translation grows out of my um, little guides to the New Testament series, um, Matthew for Everyone, Mark for Everyone, etc. Because when we were plotting that, the publishers and I back in, when was it? Um, I don't know, 1999, I think so long time ago now. Mm. Um, the aim was to have about a thousand words of commentary on each paragraph in the New Testament. Oh wow! Um, uh, which is not that much, granted. What's what's in them, uh, and with a little illustration at the beginning to get people going. And then we said, well, do we want to print the New Testament with that or not? Mm-hmm. And the answer was, well, yes, we do, because we envisage that the sort of people who use these everyone commentaries will be like uh, on the train going to work or whatever, and they won't want to have a Bible on one knee and the book on the other yes. while they're in a commuter train or whatever. Yes. So we got to have the text as well as the commentary. So then the question, which version are we going to have? Uh-huh. And then I immediately thought, well, whichever of the modern ones we choose, fairly soon I'm going to be saying, unfortunately, the NRSV gets this slightly out of kilter right. or whatever. Right. And if it's the NIV, a lot out of kilter. Um, but uh, so I said rashly to the publisher, maybe I should do my own. He said, great idea. Yes. <laughs> and then I thought, <gasps> What have I done? What have I agreed to? <laughs> well, well. And, and and I did Mark first and then Luke. For some reason, we decided on that. Yeah. And I remember when I'd done Mark and Luke thinking, I'm like somebody that's decided to row across the Atlantic and I've just left Liverpool and I've just, I'm somewhere on the south of Ireland. Yeah. There's a long way to go yet. <laughs> yeah. But I realized then I was determined to keep it as close. It's not a paraphrase. It's a, it's a full-on translation. Mm-hmm. But... It's possible to be accurate at one level, but to be completely inaccurate at another level because Mark, say, Mark is written at a run. It's very exciting. Immediately he did this. Then he went and did that. Bang, 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 bang. So I thought, if I did an accurate translation but made it sound boring, that is about as inaccurate as it could Mm. be. So I was determined to try to embody the feel as well as the literal meaning. So for Mark, it's very breathless, and off we go. Luke is much more stately, you know. Um, dear, dear Theophilus, this is yeah. what I'm doing. Blah, 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 blah. And John is like visionary. Yeah. In the beginning was the word. Yeah. I mean, that was actually hard to translate the first paragraph of John because it's <gasps> so me. so enormous. And yeah, <gasps> John one through three, as we've read, let's read the Gospels. Yeah, John yeah, one yeah. through three and Luke fifteen have been my favorites. To Luke read. fifteen, interesting. Yeah, 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 I've just loved it. And John yeah. one through three, we realized we started twenty twenty three that way. We're starting twenty twenty four that way. Right, right, right. It says everything. Yeah, if you yeah. hear John one through three on January first, yeah, yeah, and yeah, you yeah, bail yeah. on the rest of the well, year, well, you heard everything. <laughs> Right? It's just yeah, amazing. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I mean, I tell the students that John 1, 1 to 18, which is the prologue, um, it, 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 you've got all Genesis there, you've got all Exodus there, because it ends with the word tabernacled in our midst, which mm. is the story of Genesis, the, the first great 
sort of super paragraph of the of the Old Testament runs from Genesis 1 and 2 to Exodus 40, where God builds this tabernacle, where Moses builds it under, under God's instructions, and God comes to live there. And this mm. is the whole thing about the purpose of the Bible is not how we get up to God, it's how God wants to come and live with us. Yes. And the tabernacle is the foretaste of that. And that's all there in John 1, yeah. 1 to 18, and it's Jesus and then it's the Holy Spirit. And, yeah. and as you say, once you've got that, Everything else fits in. Yeah, yeah, that's why we've said every year, let's start with John 1 through 3. <laughs> right, and if right. people bail, everybody wants to plan on January 1. They want right, to read right. the Bible this year. Yeah, so cool. if we get them with the first three of John, yeah, yeah. that's it. Reading, reading the Bible in a year is an excellent thing to be doing. Yeah. Yeah. So next year, what we're going to do on Let's Read the Gospels is we're actually going to— we've done three chapters a day mm-hmm. and gotten through wow. all four books wow. every month. Great. Great. And so this year, in, in 2024, what we're going to do is we're going to slow down— January, February, March, and do a chapter a day. Okay. Okay. Will you talk a little bit about, uh, it's going to take less time, which people sure. like. They yeah. they like that it's going to be five to seven minutes. Okay. But what should we do in our minds as we're only hearing a chapter yeah. a day? Yeah, that's it's tricky. It depends entirely where you're coming from. You know, if somebody's coming to this completely fresh, which I guess some people still are, yeah. then one would just be listening out for what are the highlights, what's mm-hmm. grabbing me, what what jumps out at me uh, from this text. But for somebody who, who knows it all already, I would be thinking, try to look sideways and look back to the Old Testament, look forwards to what you know is wow, coming up yeah. and see where the coordinates are. And and then particularly, it's, it's where are you in this text? I mean, mm. that's the old uh, so-called Ignatian method of meditation where here's a biblical story. Imagine yourself as a, as a bystander, watching as Jesus is chatting to the woman from, from Samaria or yeah. the woman whose son is about to be buried in Luke chapter 7, whatever. Be a bystander in this story and and then give yourself the space to wait and see if Jesus has a word for you in this, you know, beckon you in from the from the shadows, as it yes. were. Um, and there are many, many ways of doing this, but uh, to try to make make it your own by making yourself part of the story is, is is a really important thing. But I think I think that the whole sweep, whether it's a chapter or three chapters or a whole book at a time, um, I mean, I remember one time we had an actor who was going around doing this, um, came to the college where I was chaplain in Oxford, and he did the whole of John one evening. Um, and he he was... Like performed it? He performed it. <gasps> Um, and we'd been having we'd been having a, a sermon series on John all term, so yes. we were kind of primed for it. And he did it in two halves, splitting at the end of end of chapter ten. So the second half starts with the raising of Lazarus, oh. and it's absolutely heart stopping stuff. Yes. Um, and and you know when you probably sobbing at the well, end. Well, you feel the whole the whole story, yes. and it picks you up and yes. takes you places. <laughs> so when you think about eternity. Was put, put about, about what? About eternity. Is that not even a word we can? Uh, I, I know I haven't read Surprise by Hope. Help me. I'm thinking about because the question is. The ultimate future that God has in mind. That's it. Would that be all right for yes, you? Yes, sir. That'll work for me. <laughs> Who are you most excited to be friends with besides Jesus? Oh, <laughs> well, obviously Paul. Yes. And I, I suspect people say, what questions will you have for Paul? And my normal answer would be, the point is, what questions will Paul have for me? Like, uh, how did you manage to misunderstand what I was doing there? Um <laughs> And I suspect that Paul will go on being um, a demanding friend. Yes. <laughs> um, but yeah, yeah. It, but that, that, that is that is a good question because the the ultimate future is very Jesus shaped. Yeah. 
Mm-hmm. Um, though we are told in First Thessalonians 4 that we won't be separated from those we have loved and lost, there's very little in the New Testament which says anything about in the world to come, you will be reunited with, with these people. It's, mm. it's very much uh, God, Jesus, and the Spirit focused. And it's very much about, not about who will we want to go and hang out with, but what, what new tasks will God have for us? Yes. I mean, I've often said to people, in Revelation chapter 5, when you have the song of praise for uh, the Lamb who is also the Lamb because he's rescued us, it isn't he's rescued us so that we can then go to heaven and hang out and do nothing forever. Right. He's rescued us in order to be the royal priesthood, mm-hmm. which is the genuine human vocation of reflecting God's wisdom into the world and reflecting the praises of the world back to God. Now, that's a vocation and a half. Right. Um, are we ready for that? Now, there will be companions on the way, mm-hmm. uh, lots and lots of them, mm-hmm. and that will be marvelous. But it's the vocation which is drawing us forward, which obviously is what we're talking about in Romans 8 as well. Yes. I think about it so much because I think, is, well, I have a podcast in, in uh, the continued work of the Lord, the Lord would have for me into forever. I'm like, well, how is this skill set going to play out sure, forever? Sure, sure. <laughs> and, and that's really important. End of 1 Corinthians 15, Paul says, uh, what you do in the Lord is not in vain. Mm. In other words, all the stuff you do in Christ and by the Spirit here, we are not oiling the wheels of a machine that's going to fall off a cliff. Yes. We are somehow, in ways we don't appreciate at the moment, mm-hmm. Um, doing things which will, in God's new world, have a whole new dimension, a whole new place. Yes. And that, that's, that's so important and so exciting. Yes, it's yeah. so exciting. Yeah. It's a, it just makes it feel like everything we're putting our hands to here yeah. isn't just doesn't conclude. Exactly. And isn't exactly. just about getting other people exactly. saved, though we hope. Exactly. And, yeah. and the point about eternity, to square that one off, um, the Bible, I don't think, envisages a timeless eternity. That's a platonic idea. Huh. One of the main tasks we've got to do in our generation is to get rid of Plato out of this picture. Ah. He crept in by the fourth century because the, the philosophers who were teaching the church wanted to, to make it make sense within the Greek world. But for Plato, the aim of the game is, as I said, we come from heaven and we've got to get back there. Mm. You go to the first century looking for somebody who says that. You know who we're talking about? Plutarch, not ah. Paul. Plutarch is a, a pagan philosopher and biographer, very highly intellectual. He's a priest of the shrine at Delphi. He has a whole book talking about exile and explains that our souls are exiled from their true home in heaven. That's where we want to go back to. Wow. When I read that, I thought, that's what most of my friends think Christianity is all about. Wow. But it isn't. Christianity is about the new world which God has already begun to make in Mm -hmm, Jesus, mm -hmm. launching it in Jesus' resurrection, Mm -hmm. energizing it by the Spirit, and saying, come on, you're part of this. Let's go. Oh, that's fun. (laughs) Um, Okay, the last question we always ask that is a left turn, so prepare yourself. (laughs) Because the show is called That Sounds Fun. Right. Tom, you got to tell us, what do you do for fun, too? Oh, oh, for fun, I listen to music. I yeah. love music, as you may detect from that, from most yes. of the books I write. I've got musical illustrations yes. here and there. Um, we are very fortunate. We live right in the middle of Oxford. We live about three or 400 yards from the Sheldonian Theatre, where there are symphony concerts and so oh, on. Yeah. I used to play golf. When we left Scotland four years ago, I then it was then the pandemic. Mm-hmm. And then after the pandemic, I got long COVID. My hands all swelled up. So I haven't played golf for four years, and I'm really looking forward to getting back to it yeah. if, if my body will allow me to. That's right, man. Getting to live in St. Andrews and play at St. Andrews. Well, I did that um, for, for 10 years. But yeah, um, uh, yeah 
and my wife and I have got a little place we're building on the west coast of Scotland and oh, okay. just around the corner from a nice little nine hole golf yeah. course. So I'm oh, looking lovely. forward. You know, I'm semi retired now. I'm, yeah. I'm I'm an old man, but this is the sort of thing old I mean, guy old guys. Semi retired and then wrote into the heart of Romans as well, a semi retired and you <laughs> redid the New Testament for everybody. If I can be semi retired like that, Tom, <laughs> I will be very pleased. Um, oh, good. Thank you so much. Thank you for your work and the way you invite us to love Jesus with our minds. Thank you. That's really important. It is such a gift you've given me and so many of our friends listening. So I'm really grateful. Thank you very much. Oh, you guys, isn't he brilliant? I know. My gosh. I feel so lucky that we get to talk to people like Dr. Wright. Wow. Okay. Go grab a copy of Into the Heart of Romans. Go follow him on social media. Tell Dr. Wright, thank you so much for being on the show. And if you haven't heard, we are still reading the Gospels together in 2024 over on Let's Read the Gospels podcast. If you didn't join us in 2023, if you joined us part of the way, if you did it every day, go ahead and subscribe to that podcast. Come join us as we read one chapter a day from January through March and download the free reading plan at anniefdowns.com slash gospels. You'll recognize it. It has a different cover than everything from 2023. So anniefdowns.com slash gospels. That reading plan is free. If you need anything else from me, you know I'm embarrassingly easy to find. Annie F. Downs on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, anywhere you need me, that's where you can find me. I think that's it for me today, friends. Go out or stay home. Do something that sounds fun to you, and I will do the same. Today, what sounds fun to me? Well, this is our first day off of work from Christmas, so I cannot wait to, like, lay around. I'm just going to lay around. That's my plan. Y'all have a great weekend, great pre-Christmas weekend. Just to remind you about the rest of the year, our buddy Eddie Koffels will be back on the Thursday after that to recap the year and talk about a hundred other things. You know how we do. Y'all have a great weekend. Merry Christmas. We'll see you back here on Christmas Eve. Hey, everybody. This is Paula Ferris from The Paula Ferris Show. And one of my favorite holiday treats is my mom's shrimp cheese ball. Hang with me. I know it's a little weird. I'm not a sweet girl. I love savory things. My mom would make the most amazing shrimp cheese ball every Christmas Eve. And it reminds me of home and the holidays. Hi, this is Havala from the Havala Podcast. And my favorite holiday snack goes way back into childhood when my grandmother taught me how to make magic bars. You know what that is? The crispy graham cracker crust with the chocolate chips and the walnuts and OMG, all those things with a drizzle of sweetened condensed milk on the top. I'm telling you, it is Christmas in your mouth. You're welcome.